You are listening to Go Doc Yourself, your weekly documentary book club. Listen in while we two errands dissect our most recent documentary find. Sometimes weird, sometimes mainstream, but always entertaining. Grab a cup of coffee and let's clutch. Hi, and welcome to Go Doc Yourself. I'm Erin McCart. And I'm Erin McCourt. Welcome back this week. We're happy to have you here as we kind of celebrate Women's Month, Women's History Month, mm-hmm. International Women's Day. I'm not sure what it is. We have a day, <laughs> I guess, a year or something. <laughs> I think there's a reason we feel a little bit blase because it feels like lip service, but uh, we'll get mm-hmm. into that as we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we missed International Women's Day, which was March 8th, but mm-hmm. we are going to try to do a couple documentaries to celebrate women, talk about women. I don't know. All the above. Right. All the women. All the women, all the time. Mm. So with that in mind, this week we're doing Fair Play, which Mm -hmm. I found on Hulu. Yep. It was done in 2022. It's an hour and 35 minutes long and directed by Jennifer Siebel Newsom. And I'm going to tell you guys this week, I'm just phoning it in. It's been... (laughs) A really long few weeks for me with the job that actually pays my bills. So thankfully, Aaron McCart has come in to save the day and I will just nod along and concur. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm sorry. And I'm sure it's fine. She's the wittier of the two. So it's probably best this way. Either way. <laughs> We're good. I feel so feisty today discussing this because really... This documentary focuses on a lady named Eve Rodsky, who is, I mean, talk about accomplished, talk about a super mom, which is my name for today's recording. (laughs) So we have little names on our uh, little recording to differentiate our soundtracks, actually, really for editing through Mm -hmm. our software. So I'm super mom, Aaron, which is facetious. I'm a bra burning, Aaron. That's what I am. (laughs) Burn all the bras. But ladies, not the expensive ones because most of them are outrageously expensive. So maybe just the cheap sports bra or something. Don't burn the good ones. Right. Your old crappy bra. Like be selective in which bra because you're going to need support for the fight. Okay. Absolutely. Do you still have maternity bras even though your kids are 14 years old and above? Yes, I do. I can burn those bras. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. All right. So let's talk about Eve. The documentary kind of opens with Eve talking about a day in her life where she's got a baby in the car, like in a car seat. She's on her way to pick up a toddler. She's got a a business brief in her lap because she's like a boss lady doing boss things. And Mm -hmm. she gets a text from her husband that says something about, I thought you were going to get blueberries, to which she absolutely has a meltdown. And I can relate to this 100% because she's got all this stuff going on. And the one tiny detail is what her partner picks out. And she's just like pulling over and crying. And she's like, Oh my God, my marriage is ending, which is really funny. Cause she talks about it as if she thought if her marriage ended, it would be because she was having like an affair with an NBA player. And it was like much more windswept and she was on a <laughs> beach with a tan. And it's just yep. very mundane and disappointing if her marriage is going to end. So that's sort of, I think a great intro a lot of the women that I know can relate to this because the expectations on women are really unreasonable is a, is a very easy word to say. So this documentary kind of focuses on why is that? Mm -hmm. Why do we split domestic chores? I'm going to call them 
in the way that we do, whereas men are sort of excused because they're working quotey fingers and women have to do it, but also they're working and like, we don't acknowledge that they're doing both. So that's sort of what this, the gist of this whole to do is. And then kind of when the opening credits are going, there's a lot of little snippets of different couples talking about how they divide all of the chores in their house. And it's sort of funny, but it's very truthful. So there's a lot of laughing, but it's almost uncomfortable laughter. (laughs) Right. I was cracking up. This is, I'm not in the hot seat. Yeah. Well, one guy's like, I feel like my job's just to get out of her way so she can do what she does. And I'm like, you fucking asshole. By getting out of the way, you're like, I can do whatever I want. Why she cleans the house for me? Because I'm just in the way. I'm a helpless man who couldn't possibly do any chores. That's how it came across. Right. And there is an element of that that runs throughout this. And the experts, there are so many PhDs, and I don't have all the names of the PhDs, and I don't (laughs) even have all of what the PhDs do, but I'm just like, such and such PhD, and that's all I've got. So bear with me. So our protagonist, uh, we're going to call her, uh, she's a real person. Eve took lots of responsibilities early in her life. She takes care of her brother. And I'm talking, this is grade school time. Yep. So in her family, her mom took on a job. They lived in New York. I think they moved into New York City sometimes. So they didn't start off there, but they moved when she was little. I think after her dad left. Mm-hmm. Okay. There you go. That's awesome. I mean, as far as notes go, the other is not great. <laughs> her mom is trying to go to school. She's trying to work. She's trying to get them out of where they are, but that comes at a cost. And they're living in an unsafe part of the city. And so Eve takes on some of the responsibilities that she shouldn't really have to. But I think that that's a reality for some kids, especially girls, because it starts early for us. Yes. Yeah. So when eviction notices start springing up on their doors, a very young Eve takes action. And she and her mom have the discussion about Eve's going to help open the mail, kind of help her mom get organized a little bit because her mom just does not physically have time to take care of all these things. So Eve knows that this is something that really influenced her hyper-independence. And she talks about the rest of her life. It's been very difficult for her to ask for help, to acknowledge that she can't take care of everything. She just wants to be the one that's got it. She wants to be responsible. So let me ask you, because she brings it up and they do talk about it later that young girls take on the brunt of that. Like young boys aren't expected to help with housework. Young girls are expected Mm -hmm. to help with housework. You didn't have a brother in your house, right? Mm -hmm. But what kind of housework did you have to do as a kid? So I did a lot of dishes. I didn't really help with cooking until I was much older, like, you know, teens, late teens, something like that. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I was, uh, my mom and I had a division of labor because I hated to vacuum and that's still true today. And she hated to dust. So I used to dust and she would vacuum. But, um, you know, I was cleaning bathrooms, taking trash out, you know, taking care of the dog, that kind of stuff. As far as I can remember, I mean, forever. Yeah. I think for us, it was chores. Like, chore and I wasn't on a farm I wasn't chored on a farm but we had if we wanted to have an allowance we had to do certain things like mm-hmm. dishes were required regardless which is funny because I complained about it and now I am meticulous about the dishes door. yeah the dishes better be clean <laughs> when they go in that goddamn dishwasher right but mowing the lawn and mm-hmm. that was about it mm-hmm. so all right sorry go yeah. on 
No, I love that. So we're going to talk to a few different couples throughout the documentary. The first is Leanna Mm -hmm. and Christian. They're married. They had a first baby at six months, but really had planned to have a first baby at three years. And isn't that always the way babies work? They really love your schedule and your plans. Mm -hmm. So she kind of pictured a very traditional gender role, but that's not really how it went down. So she's an MBA grad. She had graduated right before that baby was born. And she said that motherhood changed everything. She lost her identity. She was completely overwhelmed. You know, she loves her kid, but all of her former ambitions had to take a back seat because, you know, babies don't really wait for people. (laughs) I mean, those of us that are parents kind of, at least I really identified with this because it's like what the kid needs comes first. Mm -hmm. And so Christian was very career focused. He's working outside the home and was sort of content or needed her to take care of the rest of the stuff. Yeah. He's working 80 hours each week. He's not at all engaged at their house. The comment he made, this was a comment I actually had written down. He was Mm -hmm. like, I've been working all day long to provide for my family and you aren't being grateful. He's lucky to be alive. Honestly, lucky to be alive. Making a statement like that. (laughs) Right. Mm. It's a really weird dynamic. These men that come on this documentary in particular, I give them some credit. Yes. And you see growth. There's which some is, growth. Yes. Yes. Uh, and I appreciate that <laughs> he admitted that. There are a few that, times but... that I was like, yeah. yeah. There are a couple times that I was like, oh my God, he is brave. Okay. <laughs> right. And the next next shot shows him with the black eye and you just don't even mention it. Just oh. going. It does not, but I think oh it my should God. Sorry. <laughs> right. So... Leanna talks about being exhausted. She's lonely. She's resentful that he gets to go to work. Mm-hmm. I've been there, sister. Mm-hmm. And so it starts to come up that a lot of the people that Christian works with are divorced. People at his level or above his level, they don't make it. And so there's kind of some things that happen in their marriage where I think there's a breaking point. She wants to leave to go stay with her folks for a little while. And I think it hits him that, no, I don't want to be in this boat. I don't want to lose my family that I'm working so hard for. And I'm just going to push him away and it's going to go away and it will all be for naught. So, mm-hmm. you know, it seems like a very rom-com moment where it's in the rain and he has this realization. That's a dramatization. That didn't really happen, at least in this documentary. But in my mind, that's exactly how it worked out. <laughs> I think we go with it. Yeah. Ultimately, he takes a different role. They decided to make some rules of communication that worked for them. You know, they don't say always and never. They, they fight fair. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, those are some of those rules that I recognize from that, but they, they came up with a system that works for them. And I thought good for them. There's a lot of affection between them and like a lot of supporting language when they're talking on screen. And I was like, I think, you know, it's good. It's good to see that. Yes. So COVID did have an impact on their family. And actually, Kristen is the one who stays home now. Christian. Thank you. Christian stays home now. And that was an interesting arc for them as he moved into some of those domestic areas. And she had to kind of take a step back because he talks about, you know, I'm coming in with fresh eyes and I'm going to like efficiency (laughs) stuff. And I'm like, again, be careful. 
be careful because it sounds like criticism sometimes. So, mm-hmm. and I like that at the end that she said that he takes on 80 to 90% of the household tasks now and mm-hmm. they share the child rearing like 50 50. And it seems like they have a lot of kids and they just continuously have more kids. So that's <laughs> a lot. That's a lot. And they have a business together now, I think, what they do is they have a business together. Yes, they mm-hmm. they started something during COVID. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he's laid off. They start their own thing. And I thought it was interesting that they talk about one of their kids came along at a time that dad had always been home. So their experience was quite a bit different with the younger ones versus the older ones. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, I think that that's a common thing, too. If you have lots of kiddos, you know, your your story changes over time. So kind of interesting. Right. I mean, even with my two kids, they're eight years apart. And so the experience my younger one has versus the one my older one had, very different, very different versions of me. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. So now we're going to switch over to Eve Rothke and her husband, Seth. So I think like a lot of people, when they get married, it's all great. They're great partners. Everything is awesome. Mm -hmm. But at the birth of their first child, Zach... It's traumatic for Eve. She feels really isolated. Seth is back at work in two days. Yeah. And she talks a lot about the depression that she was in and how difficult it was for her. But she didn't have any language for any of that because that's the time we didn't talk about postpartum things. There wasn't a lot of help. So I think Tom Cruise told us it wasn't real. So that's all that mattered. mm, Well, he studied the history of psychiatry, psychology, you haven't. So true. Mm. So the rift between the partners begins to grow. She goes back to work. She works at JP Morgan. Um, she is a Harvard trained lawyer and yeah. attorney. Mm-hmm. So they don't say specifically what she does until like way later. But um, I think she's a lady that's got her shit together is sort of the, the vibe I get from this. And she cusses and she's hilarious mm-hmm. and I kind of love her. So mm-hmm. she talks a lot about, it's not really set up for a mom at all, especially a lactating mom, because there's nowhere to lactate. They're like, we don't have lactation rooms. So she's in a dingy hallway, like a stairwell pumping. (laughs) And those things are not quiet. They make a lot of like awkward noise. Mm -hmm. So that was problematic. And she talks a lot about the lack of options that she had to take a kid to an appointment or whatever she needed to do uh, to keep, you know, things running smoothly for her family. So she decides to leave and she's going to start her own firm. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, good on you. But feels like taking on more work. <laughs> yes. yeah. But I'm like, whatever. I can't. Um, I'm not going to fault her for that. Mm-hmm. So. I think it's really interesting that Seth comes on and he's pretty, he's somewhat featured throughout this. Mm -hmm. And he talks about initially Eve had been the breadwinner, but then he kind of moves into that space. And he, I think like a lot of men just has expectations that she's going to pick up the slack. Like she's going to take over the rest as if he had, it was almost like, had he been doing it before? Didn't sound like it from what she said. That's what I commented too, because he's yeah. like, as soon as I started making more money, I just assumed she would start taking on start taking on more of these household tasks. And I'm like, but were you taking on the household tasks when she was the breadwinner? Doubtful. Probably not, sir. Probably not. Yeah. He does admit a couple of different times in this that his viewpoints initially were pretty archaic. So I will give a little credit there. I it's hard to 
I don't want people to feel like they can't have these conversations because we're going to jump on them right away. And we might, but we'll also <laughs> give you a little bit of credit for saying <laughs> for life. Right. Because again, that's the whole point of this is to show the growth. Look, this, right. even if you start off as a caveman, you can come out of this as a fully grown homo sapien. Right. We're proud of you. Yes. You can be a grown folks. Mm-hmm. Good on you. So he talks about another situation that, that really stuck out to her kind of in memory. And she said that she was with a bunch of her girlfriends. Um, these are all moms and wives. They're at a breast cancer march. Well, I like how she said these are all high powered people as well. Like they're like also probably lawyers and doing big business stuff or whatever. They're not just right. stay at home moms, which I am not. I'm not mm-hmm. saying being a stay at home mom is nothing because that's more work than I was willing to put in. Let's be honest. <laughs> Yeah, they're doing both. Yes. So while together, all the women keep getting phone calls, they keep getting texts. And it's the stupidest shit I've ever heard. Like the kids need to have lunch, (laughs) wear somebody's backpack. And that is probably something that I have gotten in the past. Mm -hmm. So these are logistics questions, except for the eating one. And I'm like, what? It's Wednesday. They don't eat on Wednesday. Right. We're trying to cut, cut down. I don't know. (laughs) Stuff about like, if I'm taking this kid to this party, where's the gift at? So inevitably all the women I think are frustrated and they end up leaving because it's like, I left my partner with too much work. I got to go. And so, you know, this is kind of, we talk about like, Eve's like, what, what is this? There's no real, there aren't words or terms or an education that talks about what is going on here. So this is when we start to talk about the gender division of labor think of it almost as like a second shift, a second full-time job. There are different names for it. There's emotional labor, there's mental load. But what we end up landing on, according to Dr. Pooja Lakshmi, is the invisible labor to manage a household. And it's the to-dos and the been-dones and kind of those kinds of things that women typically have the role of managing. And it's unappreciated. (laughs) which is really unfortunate and expected. It's expected. Yes. These things will get done. Right. I, I think one person said, I can't remember who, and she's like, anyone could go to the store and get milk. Anyone can change a diaper, but it's knowing that we need milk because we're out and knowing how much you need to get, because this is how mm-hmm. much we use in a day or two or whatever. That's the stuff that's going on in mom's brains and female brains mm-hmm. all the time. Right. There's that anticipation piece that, they kind of point out along the way. So Darby Saxby, PhD, great fucking name. Mm-hmm. She calls it executive labor of keeping a household going. And I loved that because it, it kind of shows the level of planning and execution that have to go into something to make it function. It's not just like the one task. It's all of it. The before that, the during the after mm-hmm. that's again, un- kind of undiscussed. And so talking especially about women who are anticipating they're assigning tasks to your partner. Even if they're a willing partner, there are partners who are not willing, but that's on top of the other work roles that all women are dealing with, you know, whether you work and it's limiting and it kind of, with all of that stuff going on, you can't really focus on any one thing. So you're just a great generalist. You can't be like super specific and targeted and that's, it's difficult. And I think it's, it's hard for a lot of women to, feel good about any one thing that they're doing, like feel like an expert anywhere. It's just all of your attention and time and energy is spread all over the place all the time. 
Yes. I remember when I was pregnant and they talk about pregnancy brain, right? Like mm -hmm. you have more fluid in your brain or something stupid. I just probably not right at all, but your memory seems to go. And then someone's like, well, you never get it back. Once you become a mom, like your brain is gone. But then I was reading up on it. It's like, no, actually you remember 5,000 times more things, but they're just different things. You're no longer only mm -hmm. remembering stuff for work. Now you're remembering 3,000 other things for your household, for your kids, for everything else that you have to take on. So it seems like mm -hmm. you can't remember anything anymore. But in reality, you've just shoved a bunch of other stuff in there to take the place. Right. Yeah. Which is remarkable because as we talked about many times, ladies have a tiny, tiny brain. Tiny brains. Mm. How do we even get out of bed in the morning? I don't know. <laughs> so Eve discusses that her favorite term, invisible work, is termed by somebody named Arlene Kaplan Daniels. And it's undervalued domestic work. It benefits society. And so there's a resistance to validating all of the things that invisible work does for families and for culture and for all the stuff. But because we don't validate it, it's easy to undervalue. Right. And it benefits society to undervalue it. Absolutely. Right. Because that way society can function cheaper. Because, you know, we've, we've said that this isn't worthwhile tasks and work. Yeah, it's, it's not, it's not a thing. So all of that falls to women. Mm -hmm. So some statistics for you, 93% of childcare workers are women. 45% of those childcare workers are black, Asian, and Latina ladies. Mm -hmm. And they're earning less than $13 an hour on average. So that's quite a dichotomy to say it's among the most important jobs is to, you know, I believe the children are our future, but also pay people a garbage rate to watch our future. Right. Well, I think the difference is, so those people with a lot of money will pay a lot more money. And so they feel like mm -hmm. they're safer because they're going to a much more respected childcare and their children will be okay. Mm -hmm. Those people aren't making that much more money working there than the people at the cheaper place. They're just not, I mean, the, the childcare center itself is bringing in more money, right? There's the difference, but those, those rich people feel safe. They have their options. So they don't care about everyone else's options. That's not their concern. Right. They should just work harder. Also, Absolutely. I think it's funny that you say that because we drove by that Montessori not too long ago. We were like, damn, that place is fancy. Right. And it's, what is really crazy is Declan went to Montessori when he was little, just part time, mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. my husband at the time worked nights, so he was home during the day. But once Declan reached like age three or four, I think we wanted him to be with other kids in that. Mm -hmm. So he went part time. And it wasn't that expensive, but it was a very tiny little, like someone had taken a house and turned it into a Montessori oh, okay. school, right? Mm -hmm. It was a very tiny one. So to see something that gargantuan is crazy. It was shocking. Yeah. Now that doesn't mean that it's bad. It doesn't mean that it's crazy expensive. It just, we were like, wow, mm -hmm. they must be doing all right. Right. Okay. Here's one of the things that I had questions for you. It's another mm -hmm. statistic. Okay. So I have that American moms spend more time on childcare and domestic work than American moms did in the sixties, despite current moms being in the labor force. Right. I don't know how that works. I think, mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know how that statistic comes about. I need to see the references for that. 
yeah, they didn't have the references, at least that I caught in the documentary. But again, this is based off the book. So I'm hoping that it's listed out in the book because Eve seems like she knows what the fuck's going on. Right. She's not just making shit up. Right. Yes. But I'm wondering if I had to guess, I would say that the more time than in the 60s is because your kids are just overscheduled. So you're like in the car more running people here and there. That was my thought on how that was a thing because like, right. I mean, back then, yeah, you threw them outside, come back when it's daylight. I mean, even <laughs> in our generation, go outside and play, right. come back when it's it's dark out. Mm-hmm. I, I think I would like to read this book just because I have some questions about some of the stuff that they laid out, but that was right. one that really stuck out to me. Right. So now I'm going to talk a little bit about a couple named Emily and Neil. So they ended up being married for about five years before she had kiddos. I like how you said she had kids, like they didn't do it together. Just her. Oh, she brought the kids home. <laughs> she did. I mean, she made them and shit. I don't know. Um, right. Right. So she's a freelance social media marketer, which I'm like, oh, that would be handy. I'm glad to know. We we know one now, but anyway. <laughs> right. She has had a plan before kids because she saw how it happens for women. So I think she was aware of what happens when she had kids and she's like, it's not going to happen to me. Mm-hmm. Nice try. It's adorable. I know. Her <laughs> hubs. Uh, his name is Neil, but it's spelled weird. He's an automotive executive. He works a lot of long hours. He's got little time away for family, anything. Right. And one of the things that he said that really was interesting is he said he works in one of the big companies in Detroit, automotive manufacturing, with, quote, traditional long hours and traditional values, which thankfully he went on to explain because I'm like, traditional values? He said, really, no flex time, no paternity mm-hmm. leave, no work family life balance. They expect you essentially to live at work. Mm-hmm. And I thought that would be the case in Detroit, wouldn't it? That sounds about right. <laughs> They're a little behind. Miserable. Miserable mm-hmm. is what I would say. Yeah. So really in their family, it ends up being easier for Emily to deal with basically everything She doesn't want to have to ask him, train him, invest in him to really assist with any of the tasks. Mm -hmm. They don't talk about his willingness in this part, but I think that that's probably something that's fairly common is just women are like, I don't have time to like help you learn this. Like he's an automotive executive. Can he not learn some things? You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) But again, I think of a child who, if they make it so painfully horrible and difficult for you to mm-hmm. ask them to do something, and that's what it's like sometimes. It, it mm-hmm. rephrase that. That's what it feels like when you're asking your partner to do mm-hmm. something that you're like, I saw this and I noticed it needed done, so I did it, and I do it every day. You walk mm-hmm. by it every day and expect it to be done. So they're they say things, and and even Emily had said it. She's like people are like, just ask and he'll do it. And she's like, I don't want to have to fucking ask. I want you to notice it needs to be done and do it because that's Mm -hmm. what we do. Right. And I think that goes back to the root of it's not worth my time. Mm -hmm. It's not a big deal. And I'm like, yes, this individual thing might not be worth your, you know, it might not Mm -hmm. be a big deal, but it's the hundreds of not big deals that she's dealing with constantly that eat up her whole life. Right. And then also 
you know, making it feel like they're doing you a favor when you ask them to do something and they're like, oh, mm. you're welcome. Right. Yeah. Can we bone now? That's how you guys usually goes. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> I've earned it. Yeah. I know. Uh, so Dr. Pooja talks again and she talks about that America doesn't like you to ask for help. And that is such an American thing. It's a yep. shameful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you're a burden if you have to need anything from any other person until you're like, completely freaking out and then people are like why don't you just ask for help and i'm like oh the double standard punch you in the face that's something that anytime i find out someone's having a kid that's the first thing i say make sure you ask for help if you have it do not think you have to do this all yourself the internet is not reality fucking ask for help (laughs) oh boy what a rat's nest you've stumbled into there Mm. ali wong who i love Mm-hmm. comedian talks about being a great dad is easy. Like you basically barely have to do anything and you're an amazing dad, mm-hmm. but you barely don't do anything. And you are the shittiest of moms. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Those standards. Yeah, it really is. See Nicole Mason, PhD of what? I don't know. She talks about what it starts with teen girls and mm-hmm. you know, they are taking on more household based chores and then it just continues from there when they have a partner of their own, when they're living with somebody else, which is, you know, kind of the escalation when you have children. But like, even think about, I don't think I said this earlier when we talk about little kids. What kind of toys do you buy girls? Oh, right. A cute little kitchen set, a little vacuum, little baby dolls with little strollers. Right. Right. And little boys. Like dinosaurs and robots and cool stuff. Cars. Yes. Now, I will say in my house, my kids had baby dolls and Barbie dolls and kitchen sets and also tools and cars and stuff. And when I was growing up, I had more racetracks and cars than I did Barbies. So I agree. I had a little bit of a mix too. My kids had a kitchen that was made by my parents and it was amazing. Like my mom made all these little felt like little foods and they had a restaurant and it was super cute and they would like take turns waiting tables. It was really neat. Mm -hmm. So you know, these are just generalities. I think a lot of families kind of balance it, but there are very traditional, they're very weird. It's a lot of weirdness sometimes when a boy plays with a doll or, you know? Yeah. Of all the things to make someone gay, a doll is not going to do it. First of all, (laughs) I shaved my Barbie's head and that might be one of the reasons my mom thought I would grow up to be gay. I'm not sure. She just has made the comment in the past more than once that she thought I would be gay, but here we are. It's probably some gay agenda be pushed on you. Just saying. (laughs) <laughs> it's, I'm just one rainbow t-shirt away. <laughs> right? Yes. It's terrifying. So Anne-Marie Slaughter, she's an author and a CEO. She talks about there are three stories we're told as women about having it all, mm-hmm. which is definitely where I grew up. It's a lack of effort if I don't get it right. Mm-hmm. So just keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. Number one, you got to work so, so hard. Just got to keep working, girl. Work till you're dead, and then you can enjoy that sweet, sweet life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you can look at your male counterparts who have stay-at-home wives doing all that shit for them, and they're still making mm-hmm. more money than you. And they're like, well, if you were just here more and not taking care of those kids, you would get ahead. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, number two is you got to marry the right person. And I'm like, how selective should we be? Where's my fucking sugar daddy? I... <laughs> 
I don't think John would mind if he could also benefit from it. I'm just saying. <laughs> right? He's like, you seem really happy lately. And those new threads are just. Yeah. 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 But you got to marry him. So keep mm-hmm. that in mind. Okay. According to uh, the three fairy tales about having it all. And then mm-hmm. the third one is, it's kind of staggered. You can't have it all, all the time. Which is, I'm like, well, that's insidious, right? Because you're like, okay, well, this at this point, I'm focusing on my career. And now I'm going to focus on my family. And then I'm going to focus on my career that I, I have know. to start from scratch again because I've been out for 10 years. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. sounds great. So, yeah, what what a lovely fairy tale. Mm-hmm. So the problem is really on the individual woman. It's not, nobody's focusing on the system that's against women because, you know, they're trying to compete with men at the same level. They're trying to compete with men on the same term. And, you know, we don't like that as a society. Women should know their place, Erin. They should know their place. Yeah, they really should. And if you say it's in the kitchen, you've never had my cooking. So that's not my place. (laughs) (laughs) Just saying. But you make a mean drink. I'm sure of it. Absolutely. Chemists make the best cocktails. Mm Mm-hmm. So... Back to Eve talking about she's kind of the default, but she calls it the she fault. And I'm like, no, it's not landing for me, but okay. It's, <laughs> it's punny. It's punny. And you think I would love that, but I think I'm yeah. just so enraged by this point that it's. Do you think it's as bad as like she EO? <laughs> <laughs> that to me is the worst. Oh my God. Love it. So, ever woman after my heart, she's doing research mm-hmm. and she's asking her lady friends. About those tasks. What what are you doing that takes more than two minutes? Yeah. What are your jobs every day mm-hmm. that take more than two minutes? Oh, my God. So many. So she starts this spreadsheet called Shit I Do. And I'm like, I love it. And we, we know people that are, like, very spreadsheet driven. <laughs> so many people. Yeah. Oh, Steve. I thought of you. <laughs> anyway. So she's doing the spreadsheet and she's got a list of tasks, but she's also got the time associated. And I thought that was kind of a stroke of brilliant. Mm-hmm. So some things that she mentions that I jotted down were applying sunscreen, making school lunches, holiday cards, which who does that? I long ago let go of. Yeah. They're so cute sometimes. And mm-hmm. we're creative enough that we could do like, I don't know, something kitschy. Like I would not do like a matching pajamas. I would do like a murder scene or something, but... <laughs> It takes a lot of work and I don't have that, especially at the end of the year. Yeah. These are also like doctor's appointments and picking up sick kids from school. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of this, but I like to come back to the apply sunscreen because somebody later mentions, but you don't talk about the chase, which is 30 minutes. Yes. To slather them on sunscreen. And I would like to propose that you also don't talk about the 30 minutes or whatever after you apply before you can let them get into the pool. So, yeah. And the fit that ensues when you have to take them out of the pool and carry them home because they're tired and they're hot and they're hungry and they're crying. (laughs) That takes an extra 20 minutes. Oh, right. And you're just sorry you ever fucking left the house. (laughs) Just me. Okay. Oh my God. When I had small children, I very rarely went anywhere and it's just not worth it. It's not worth it most of the time. Mm -mm. Absolutely not. Mm -mm. I was telling Riley a story where when he was a baby, we went into a restaurant. He threw up all over the, <laughs> he throws up all over the table, all over the booth. And we just left. <laughs> oh, 
like, that's it. I could not. And you never went back to that restaurant ever again. No, we didn't. And I'm not usually like that. I'm normally the person who's like, I'm going to get a towelette or whatever, but Mm -hmm. we just had it at the end of the day. And I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. So back to Eve's spreadsheet. Mm -hmm. She ends up with 98 tabs and (laughs) 2000 items. Who knew a spreadsheet could be so big? It's got to be a record. Mm -hmm. So she sends it to her husband, Seth, and she doesn't give him any context. And he said it crashed his computer, which made me very happy. That was maybe one of my favorite parts. She's like, I just sent it to him. No context. Just like, can't wait to talk about this later at home tonight. Right. She doesn't get much reaction, though. His response. Again, read the room. Read the room. (laughs) Yeah, he just sent back, like, a monkey covering his eyes picture, like, the see no evil. And she was like, mm-hmm, you're gonna fucking die. <laughs> you know? I've been slowly poisoning you this whole time. I mean, <laughs> Don't mind the purple fingertips. It's normal. Right. That's right. Normal. <laughs> you look good cyanotic. Okay. <laughs> no, I don't smell almonds. What are you talking about? <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. So funny. Okay, so then one of my heroes, Katie Porter, comes into the scene. I'm in love with Katie Porter. I am too. I'm so jealous of the people that get to have her as their representative. Yeah. I hope they appreciate it. I bet you it's a mixed bag. Mm -hmm. So she's talking about, again, I think you mentioned this before, men do 30, 35% of domestic work, but they think that it's more because they're men and they're always exaggerating. (laughs) That's the word I'm looking for. Riley, Riley, please add in. (laughs) Stop it. I can use big words. (laughs) However, the women do two thirds of the work. And I'm like, number one, Katie, you can't put fractions and percentages in the same. So I was like 66%. It's just a small, small critique. Yep. Math is hard. We have to keep that it in is. mind. Mm-hmm. And she probably was like, no one will notice. They're women. It's mostly going to watch this. Um, but I noticed. Anyway, men are doing 35%. They think it's more. Women are doing 66%. And they think it's less because they're women. And they always undervalue their own work. Mm-hmm. And she's the one who really brings in dual income families, which I think have to be a vast majority. They don't really give me a split in this anywhere, but the kids and the house equal a full-time job. And there's no discussion about that. I mean, I did marriage classes and nobody talked to me about that at the church before I agreed. So there's some discussion on cortisol levels in women, wives, moms that are doing more of this housework at night. Those cortisol levels do not recover. And this is having a really negative impact on women's health. And, you know, it's chronic. Right. What is interesting to me about that is they said it leads to things like depression, um, weight gain, headaches, anxiety, things like that. And all I could think of was all these fucking men on their goddamn podcast talking about if my wife gains weight, I got to leave her. <laughs> and I'm like, you're the fucking cause. It's not like she let herself go because she caught herself a man. You're causing this directly. So... Fuck off. Please leave her so she can find someone who appreciates her. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, 
being lonely and underappreciated in your relationship is a horrible pain I wouldn't wish on anybody else. Yes, absolutely. It's terrible. 46% of moms say the men in their lives, husbands, boyfriends, are more stressful than kids. You know why? I know exactly why. Because we expect that behavior from kids. We know that that's, we're training them. They have to learn that's where we are. Mm -hmm. We don't expect it from full grown ass adults. You expect them to be at the same level as you, Mm -hmm. but they're like, I don't know how to do dishes. You know what I mean? It's just (laughs) dumb fucking. I worked all day. I'm tired. (laughs) And I'm like, bitch, I worked all day too. And I picked up kids and I made dinner and I worked out because I can't let me let myself go. No. Anyway, rage checked. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Caitlin Collins, another PhD. She's talking about women's burnout, stress levels. That's not new. And nobody talks about the fact that it takes more to fix than just your gumption. (laughs) You're just not trying hard enough, ladies. You just, I don't know if you've read the book, The Secret, Erin, but if you want it enough. (laughs) Right? So then moving on to the next couple. So we have Lisbeth and Jose. Can I start off by saying this is my favorite couple in the entire documentary? I mean, yeah, I have a lot of feelings about this couple because number one, they say they moved to the U.S. for a better life. And I'm like, right, there's your first mistake. Really? That marketing (laughs) is amazing in other countries, right? (laughs) Right. So she's a steward. She's working with farm workers, mostly picking produce. Mm -hmm. This is crazy hours for really both of the partners, but also it has the effect on the kids because the kids are getting themselves up and getting themselves ready. And they are grade school age, maybe middle school age. Mm-hmm. And at our house, the kids have been getting themselves up for a while, but I'm still here to like, you know, they're learning to use that alarm, but I'm a kind of a fail safe. These kids don't have that because their folks are up and gone. Yeah. I'm a bad mom because I'm not here. <laughs> well, I listen to make sure Lane's alarm goes off and then it gets up and then I'm out mm-hmm. the door. Yeah. And that's a choice that I make to go into work at that time. That's not like this situation where they don't have a choice when they go into work. Right. They're both working their asses off. It is just covering the bills or not covering the bills. I mean, it seems that they're kind of right on that edge. Mm -hmm. And they know that they're not spending enough time with the kids. And they both discuss how much pressure it is to maintain any kind of normalcy I just sort of have a feeling that they are really working in a way that a lot of these other couples aren't. Yes. They don't have some of the security that some of these other couples do. Because if you're talking about an automotive executive, you're talking about marketing engineers and stuff like that. They sort of have a level of security that is not guaranteed to people who are doing hourly work. (laughs) And so I really felt I had a lot of empathy for this crew. Yeah. Right. I think that's one of the things I like about them putting this couple on is this is a very different situation than the others. Mm -hmm. They do discuss how much Jose contributes, but he is working. He says, you know, he's up at 420 to go to work in the morning and he sometimes doesn't get home until after 10 o'clock at night and he has a second job on the weekends. Mm -hmm. So it's not as much, well, this is just the culture of where I work. It's, I don't have any other options right now. This is the best Mm -hmm option to provide for my family and for us to survive. 
which is very different. Right. So some other things to discuss is they're speaking Spanish. Mm -hmm. Um, They're obviously immigrants because they talk about moving to the U.S. for a better life. So I think that options could be limited for them. So it's not like they could just get a better job, maybe in time. But the current climate suggests... (laughs) (laughs) Right. And I think their hope isn't necessarily, I mean, they want more security in the United States, but they also are more focused on getting their children to have that security, right? So they can, you know, have these things that their parents did. And so they're willing to sacrifice so their children succeed in this country. Right. And they are very complimentary overall of the country and the opportunity Mm -hmm. that they have. And I thought that was really sweet, and I hope that that's true, but I don't know that I would agree. Right, but we have a different perspective, right? And we haven't come mm-hmm. from wherever they came from true. in their situation. Yeah. True, yeah. I think these folks were hit very hard by COVID. Mm-hmm. You know, if they don't have options to work from home with their current jobs, but their kids are at home. And again, these are kids that I think were right on the borderline of what most people I know would do about leaving their children home alone. And that's not by choice. That's a necessity Mm -hmm. for these guys. So the kids were home eight, 10 hours a day at some, in some cases. And then when things went back and everybody went back to work in school, well, back to school, parents were always at work. They got COVID and the children had it. And I think that they were some folks that had it to a, a somewhat alarming degree And then definitely Elizabeth had it enough that Jose was really worried about her. I know that was, that was difficult to watch because he's worried for her health, but he's also worried because if he doesn't go to work, he doesn't get paid. She's also not working. So she's not getting paid. So they have that financial stress. He's told that he has to work because he will lose his job otherwise, but he has to take care of his wife. What do you do if they're not here legally as it Mm -hmm. were? Mm Mm-hmm they're not entitled to probably things like FMLA or the unemployment that was set out and things of that nature. So they're really, this just really struggling. So they were able to make it work, Mm -hmm. which I was happy. And I really like the Jose at the end. So they don't really talk about the division of labor Mm -hmm. in the household because they're so worried about just working in general. Yeah. But at the end, Jose was discussing when Elizabeth got so sick he took on those chores. He had to help in the house with the kids and everything. And he continued to do that after she got better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he's like, a lot of my friends wouldn't do that because of machismo or whatever, but he's like, that ruins families. So. I love the fact that he brought up machismo because I think that they're, I mean, they talk about the pressure on men a little bit later and I wrote it all down with a straight face. (laughs) 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 So. The way their story resolves, at least as far as this documentary is concerned, is they either he quit his job or he came to work with her. I wasn't 100% clear which one it was. I'm not sure. But he is the one that is in charge of most of the domestic labor. And he talks about it's really gratifying. He's enjoying time with the kids. Mm -hmm. You know, he talks about a lot of his you know, the people in his life don't understand or wouldn't understand. And there's a fear of men have of being henpecked and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, look, I found it very gratifying to spend time with my children Mm -hmm. because really in the end, that's what it's about. So. Yeah. I thought they had a beautiful relationship. You know, I'm sure they're problems like everybody else, but they seem very appreciative of one another and everything that they had. And I love them. 
there was such a cute moment where she is talking about him and like he's a great dad and he's a great husband and he's like all blushy and I was like that is adorable because <laughs> yes. we don't see a lot of partners being really outspoken about the attributes of the people you know that they're mm-hmm. married to I mean it's more right. it's funnier to be like mm, she's a ball buster and he's what right. and you know it's it's just really nice to hold people in high regard I'm sure that that has been lovely for them so yep okay back to katie porter mm-hmm. who we both love she's specifically a representative for california i think that's the 45th district she knows the feeling of being at the end of your rope she's a single mom <laughs> it's so funny to hear her talk about the older whiter wealthier people that she works with in congress because she's like hey are we gonna wrap stuff up today so i can like go home and they're like well, we couldn't possibly change any rules for you You are a minority among all of us. And she's like, actually, as far as people that you represent, I am the majority because there are a lot of single parent households. My house is one of those, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, and I'm like, that's right, girl. So God, I love her. Every time she pulls out that whiteboard, I'm like, let's go. Oh, (laughs) take them to task. Just, (laughs) I mean, facts and logic. Mm -hmm. Who knew it could be so powerful? I mean, you knew because you're a scientist, but nonetheless. (laughs) But she talks about men are running most of these businesses and they're unaware of the realities of childcare because they have a woman or somebody in the background taking care of everything for them. Yeah. There's Michael Kaufman, who's a PhD. He's talking about 70% of top male business leaders have a stay-at-home spouse. So some of the intricacies of daily life probably aren't apparent to them and they don't certainly make policy (laughs) to give people the freedom to do the things that they need to do. Mm -hmm. Some of my favorite statistics in this whole thing are that the majority of women nationwide are breadwinners. That's a reference I'm going to need. Go ahead with the statistics and then I'll talk about my, my issue with this possibly. Sure. So I have 84% of black moms that are working are breadwinners. 67% of Native Native American moms, same story. 62% of white moms and 60% of Latina moms get that bread. So when they say Mm -hmm. the majority of women are breadwinners for their family, how do they define family? Is it a two-parent household? Is it a single-parent household? I mean... I don't know. They don't, you're right. They don't kind of break that down, but. Because women are consistently still making less than men in the same job. And women tend to take on the roles that pay less like teachers and things like that, that they Mm -hmm. assume are more women jobs, even though men have been proven to make amazing teachers. Those are the kinds of things that I question when I look at these statistics, I need to know more about it. I'm not saying women aren't kicking ass and taking names, What I'm saying is considering the climate of our country, the patriarchy and capitalism as it stands, that seems like uh, the numbers have got to represent something other than two parent households. I love that you're asking these questions because I don't have a good answer for you Mm -hmm. in that. So let's all commit to going and checking that out for ourselves. Because I, like I said, I still really like to read this book because this documentary I've never felt so seen or heard in my entire life. Right. And I might just have it on loop. Like <laughs> somebody knows. 
somebody <laughs> knows what I'm going through like all the time forever. Yes. So back to Eve. She says really her final straw is she's on a business trip. She's going to Seattle. She's at the airport. She gets a stupid text from Seth. Again, doesn't always look great. In this. And he's like, Poor Seth. some guy left a crappy jacket and a broken bottle in her yard. And she's like, all right, or whatever, kind of dismisses it. She flies to Seattle. She crushes some board meeting. Mm-hmm. She flies back. She's rolling into their house, neighborhood, whatever. It's like 1130, 12 at night, something like that. She's walking up the walk. And by God, there's that fucking jacket and that broken bottle. And I love the fact that she's like, okay, I check myself. And I said, maybe he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I don't want to get mad until I know he's not dead. I know. I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> maybe he's dead. And then she goes inside. And he's not dead. Nope. And he's like, oh, yeah, I had like three hours to like watch Sports Center and like jerk off or whatever he's doing. I'm not saying he's doing that, but he had three interrupted hours, which sounds like the four years in my world. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, I, you know, I guess I could have picked that up. I just knew somebody else would do it for me. And I'm like, who, who would that be, Seth? Who would that be that might pick it up for you? It's like they live in a Disney movie and the animals come and clean everything for them. I'm not sure. Or house elf. I mean, Mm -hmm. what? But I don't know. I just put myself in her shoes where I'm like, and she didn't smother him with a pillow that night. (laughs) She says final straw, but like, there's no like satisfying remedy to that story where (laughs) he's inevitably maimed or whatever. Mm-mm. None of He's, that happens. He is very tall in comparison to her, so it might have been difficult. It would have been a slow poisoning <laughs> situation. I'm just saying. Look, she's a firecracker, and if she wanted to do him in, totally could have been done. I'm just yes. saying. Yes. <sighs> so, I guess what Eve does with her rage is she decides to, I said accost people, but that's not. <laughs> she's just asking questions around kind of division of labor and things like that at home. I, I assume that she's done this again in in opposition to moitering Seth. So, yes, she kind of finds that society views men's time like a diamond. It's finite. It's precious. Mm-hmm. Women's time is like sand. It's infinite. It's just little tiny rocks. I don't know. And I was like, that's an interesting thought. Like women have all the time in the world because they're not doing anything important. But men are doing such important work that they, you know, they can't be bothered with these minutiae of the world. Mm-hmm. So she's talking to somebody. She doesn't really say who it is. Um, somebody of some import in this field. And there are toxic time messages. There are three of them. She makes less money. So, you know, all those menial tasks can fall to her. Mm-hmm. So she should, you know, be willing to do everything else because, you know. We have to make room for the breadwinner and rest and relaxation and whatever. Mm-hmm. I think that the second one is my favorite one. She's just a better multitasker. <laughs> multitasking is not real. No. It's not real. No one multitask. You just switch your attention back and forth between things quickly, efficiently. Mm-hmm. So stop saying multitasking. If I hear it in another interview or whatever, I'm going to freak out. So just saying. Okay. Noted. So whoever this lab guy is says to her, if men can convince women that they are better at wiping asses and doing dishes, 
men get better golf games in tenure. Yeah. Think how much it would help my golf game if I can convince you at how much better you are at these things than I am. I couldn't possibly do them. I couldn't possibly. And they show like good clips from movies where men are attempting to like change a diaper and like what a fucking production it is. And I'm like, yes, practice makes perfect. (laughs) Like, Listen, you're going to get peed on. It's just going to happen. Especially if you have boys every time you're going to get peed on. 100%. Yeah. Deal with it. And then the last real message about the toxic time are, it's just quicker if she does it. You know, she's practiced. I couldn't mm-hmm. possibly be, you know, asked to learn a new task or whatever. Like, she's just, you know, it's just better for everyone if she just takes it on. And again, that's that's such a choice. Like, you can buy into that or you cannot. I just don't understand, like, if you're a capable man that's leading stuff and things and you're whatever, you can't learn how to wash a fucking skillet. Yeah. I would like my kids to watch this documentary because they're both boys and Mm -hmm. will probably have a partner sometime in the future. And I want them to be aware that this is going to be something that they will probably deal with. And I think it's practical to talk about it before they've been on their own and kind of lived with anybody else because, you know, if this drives, you know, let's say they get married. I mean, breakups are painful whether you're married or not. Mm -hmm. A little bit more financially painful, perhaps, if you're married. Right. Nonetheless. But I think this is a big driver of partnerships ending because they cannot get this balance right. And most women I know are willing to put up with a lot for a long time because they're invested in things. But eventually you just get to the point where you're like, fuck, I cannot do this anymore. And this might be something uh, kind of a preventative in the long run. So we'll see. I don't know. Right. And I think it's interesting you made that comment. I was listening to something the other day and someone was like, men are so surprised. Like they feel blindsided when the woman is like, that's yeah. what I'm done. And they're like, what? I thought everything was fine. It was perfect. And when they're like, well, she's leaving me because I didn't do dishes. I didn't take it out of trash. That's really stupid. But someone made a really good comment. They're like, yep. But they asked you, they said, this is really important for me to, for you to do this. Mm-hmm. If you would help do this. And they're like, sure. And they do it once or twice and then they don't. And you keep reminding them. And when they choose not to do it and you say it's important to you, then you're like, well, they clearly don't care enough about me mm-hmm. to help me and to do these things that I've asked them to do. And so over time, it has nothing to do with helping out. It's more, I no longer find them attractive because they don't care about me. I've moved on, right? You right. pass that point. So when you get to the point where you're done as a woman and the mm-hmm. man's like, what? This is a stupid reason to leave. I can totally do these things. You're like, it doesn't matter if you do now. It's too late. You had the opportunity. I've moved on. And again, I think it hits on that thing about like, well, if you just ask me to help. And I'm like, bitch, no. I did. I'm done. Right? I mean, it's it's really that invisible part. Like we've talked a couple of times that they, men literally may not see this. They have no perception mm-hmm. of what this is. So it's like, how do you get somebody that's already in that process to change. It's difficult to get people to change because they have to want to change. That's not always a thing. The key. And I know that they talk about this. We'll talk about it in a minute. Yeah. 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 But you're right. Absolutely. You have to want to change. You have to want to fight for the relationship enough to do the work. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think after all this, Eve comes up to a point where she feels like she has the right language to talk to her husband about this. And she says to him, you don't value my time the way you value your own time. And I only have 24 hours in the day also. And so much of the time that I do have is already decided for me before I ever get to make any choices about it because I am 
forced into this position and you know obviously at some point he's also expecting this from her mm-hmm. I don't know how long it took this conversation to really sink in for him I think eventually it does but I think she feels that she communicated the pain and I think he received the message mm-hmm. and so they were able to move on in a different way from this point point. and I think Again, I don't want to set the bar really low for men because he was brave and he came on the show and he talked about hard things. But also, I am glad that he came on the show and he talked about hard things and he opened the door for that. Yes. Yeah. Pamela Stone, another PhD, kind of talks about Rosie the Riveter and think about women and World War II and all the men go away, but people still got to be here making stuff. So they recruit a lot of women to come to work. I think women enjoyed some of that. And then when the men came back, women were done. Like you just didn't have any choice. You had to go back in your tiny box where you existed before and be happy with it, which didn't really work too good. But like there was government subsidized childcare during this time. Because they had to, there were no other options. Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. Up to a million dollars a day. Oh, I thought it said a billion, but I can't. Oh, maybe I just wrote it down because I was like, there's no way that that that's a thing. But yeah, women totally dismissed. When the war ended, all of that also went away. Mm -hmm. And then we kind of come into your 50s nuclear family, which for whatever reason, we're always trying to get back to. Um, Moms don't work. But in the 60s, kind of things start to change again. Women are going to work combined with motherhood and there is this perception that it's just for pocket money but that's not the case I mean a lot of women are working for their families <laughs> like you have to work and I yes. think that's continued ever since mm-hmm. oh yeah so, it, it's rare that a single income family can survive anymore right so Fatima Goss Graves she's the CEO of the National Women's Law Center she said look women were always working to support their families But I think it's really the 60s era beyond that they're also expected to do everything else. And I was like, thanks, hug society. Like, oh, well, don't they talk about they tried to push a bill for government subsidizing again and fucking Dick Nixon was like, no, that would be a waste and it would ruin the family. Fuck off, Dick. It is not fiscally responsible. Mm -hmm. It's a waste. Yeah. And so what we opt to do is let women figure it out. Oh, it's cheaper. Which is amazing to me. Stuart Friedman, who's also a PhD, talking about women, you know, there's a there's an opening of doors to male-dominated workplaces, work mm-hmm. roles or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then we start to get into the whole thing, well, if you're a father, then you have a family to support and you're more likely to get raises and stuff and that wedding ring, boy, does that really help out. But a woman, mm-hmm. your liability... Yep. If you have a family, because inevitably you're going to like fuck us over because you're going to want to like raise babies and stuff. I mean, God forbid you get pregnant. You're Mm. just going to want to leave and want to raise them babies. You're not going to want to stay. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that in current times too. I've seen people actually say shit like that, which is blows my mind. Well, I mean, I definitely think we're devolving in some areas. Uh, Joan Williams, who's a spicy broad, she's the director for the Center of Work-Life Law, University of California. So women are pushed out of careers. Um, Sometimes it's by her husband who, because he's being the ideal worker, and they're 
expecting the wives to pick up the slack. So we've seen a couple real life examples of that in the couples that we've talked to. Mm-hmm. But also there's a pushing out of women by their employers who assume they aren't really dedicated because they're just existing in the world mm-hmm. and they're provided less opportunity. Like we don't want to invest in you. We know eventually you're going to leave when that baby time comes. Yeah. So that's kind of a bummer. Uh, Melinda Gates comes in and she's talking about women step back into lower paying jobs because they believe that there's more balance in those roles, but it doesn't really work. There's still quite a bit of expectation placed on you, no matter what the fuck you do, whether it's high paying or low paying. And I'm mm-hmm. like, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. So I love some of the other statistics again, now that you've shaded in for me with no uh, reference, but on average, women are more educated than men still earning less than men, however. And a lot of women find that it's too hard to do both. So, yeah. yeah. It, it's not easy. It's not easy. Right. So, you know, what is your peace of mind work? Are, are you willing to grind like this forever? Because there really is no end in sight, especially as kids continue to live with parents, in my opinion. I mean, I have one that's pretty old, um, still living at home because, he, you know, he's not 30. <laughs> Wow. (laughs) You're right. He's not. He'll he'll be 19 this month, but you know, there's no way that he's going to be able to afford to get a place of his own for some time. Right. Oh, absolutely. Our country really is failing. It's amazing. (laughs) So many ways. Yeah. So Eve talks about how we're going to fix this. She has a couple alternatives. She can get divorced and kind of cash in her chips and start over again. I think she really does love her family. So this isn't really something that she wants in the long Mm -hmm. run. There's acceptance. Like, does she just choose to go forward and just eat it? (laughs) Yeah. Some do. I mean, you know. Many do. Yeah. And there's a third option. So she's thinking about making herself her own client. So at this point, we understand that she's a philanthropic advisor. So she gives you a the example of the show succession. So this mm-hmm. is like a well-to-do family. I think it's managing someone of their public image, that kind of stuff. So she's talking about creating systems based on the values of the family. And that helps with making their decisions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So is she capable of making her own system up? And she kind of shares some of that with us. She talks about no feedback in the moment. So you're not snapping at your partner for not taking out that goddamn trash. It's so hard <laughs> because usually by the time you snap, it's been built up at that point. Oh, right? yeah. It's not like you just, that's the first thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's at a time when emotion is high. And she says, wait until the cognition is high and emotion is low, which again right. comes back to a lot of different kinds of counseling that I've ever heard about when you're like, you don't rip somebody's head off. You kind of cool down and you come with your arguments because you need to be heard and talk to your partner about it. So what she and Seth decide to do is they're taking 10 minute walks each day to talk about connecting kind of what's coming up, what needs to be done, where did we not meet expectations and kind of working through that. So they're you know, could you do this tomorrow? Like, what does your Friday look like? And so she's not waiting for him to step in and he's not completely ignoring all of it. <laughs> right. So, right. yeah. So it's, I mean, it's a cool program. And here we have Seth kind of donning 
the understanding of what level of planning she's having to do for forever, kind of the scheming and all of that that has been solely on her. And I think it kind of, again, is, is really sinking in and he's understanding and they're finding some common ground. Mm-hmm. But Eve also talks about learning from same-sex couples because she's interviewing a lot of people. And I thought that was really great because, you know, if you are two men living together, you know, they talk about who's going to take on some of these more female associated roles Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And I thought, what a great opportunity to learn from people who are dealing with these things in different ways, new ways. So they have some very cool couples that are kind of coming on and talking about what they've experienced this way. Yeah. I like that they said you're, you're somewhat liberated from the predefined roles Mm -hmm. because you don't fit this model. So there needs to be a lot of communication about who's going to do what. There was a couple that came on talking about adopting a child. And if you're in a same sex couple, that takes a lot of planning. There's not like an oops situation. You are really (laughs) planning and working to have a kid. And so there's a lot of conversations happening beforehand. You get a lot of that out of the way before you even have a kid figuring out who's Mm going to do what, because again, it takes a lot more work and effort and time to even get to that point. So That's what I took away from it as well, is they're having a lot of hard conversations early. They have no assumptions. They're Mm -hmm. coming into it with no assumptions. And I'm like, what would that be like? Like, it's all on the table. We have freedom to choose. And I thought that is brilliant. I really Mm -hmm. liked that. Me too. So it seems like Eve shows us some of the mediation, I mean, for lack of a better word, that she's doing with some of her clients, because I think Mm -hmm. this is part of I don't know if her philanthropy stuff has morphed into this or she just does this full time they don't really discuss that Mm -hmm. so Emily and Neil are some of her clients and so they're talking about you know how was your 10 minute debrief every day and so they're kind of talking about like it's new it's difficult to find the right time and kind of how they each approach it and you know some of that kind of stuff so talking about how we get through this and um, how we've handled things before. And, and so that's kind of been interesting. I really, that little window into their world. Oh my God. They show Eve talking to Emily and saying, okay, mm-hmm. what do you notice are the triggers? She's like, end of the day, obviously at that point, everything's boiled up. And she's like, okay, how does Neil react when these things happen? She said, well, one time after I, you know, reacted to a situation that had been building up all day, his response of, are you, response was are you trying out for local theater what is all of this Uh. and i thought again that motherfucker's lucky to be alive (laughs) lucky to be alive i saw a tiktok the other day of a lady that was saying do you have any idea how much rage moms are driving around with every day and she's like we're only kept in check by like iced coffee and murder podcasts and i was like (laughs) yes all i thought watching this was they have stairs (laughs) it would take one little shove and it would be an Uh. accident (laughs) I know. And it's so bad that that's where my mind goes. Yes. But he said it out loud to her. I know. I know. And again, it's a good example for the, for the context of this documentary, but as somebody who's formerly been married, oh my God. Mm -hmm. Neil ends up talking to a relationship coach named Matthew Frey. And I had some thoughts about why he has to talk to a man about this. Why a man has to explain his wife's viewpoint. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. I mean, 
there's always been a thing about, well, if a man says it, it has more gravitas. Yeah. Did you pick up on that too? A little bit. <laughs> well, okay, but I will give him the benefit of the doubt and say that if you're going into a situation like this, you probably mm-hmm. assume that if you're talking to a woman, the woman is going to make you feel bad about everything, right? They're automatically sure. going to put all the blame on you. Yes. And so I could understand him wanting to talk to a man who might understand more why he felt this way or didn't notice something or whatever. Right. So I will give him that benefit. Just that one. It is difficult. It is difficult because, again, from my perspective, if your wife says something to you and it takes another man to come in and say the same thing to you, why is it more palatable? <laughs> why, do you, why does it land differently when a man says it? However, if you remove the emotion from the situation, mm-hmm. then I'm like, okay, again, they didn't have to come on here and talk about this. Right. And Neil does yes. make big steps, leaps and bounds. But I mean, really I like that this cat was telling him like, listen, if you invalidate people enough times, if you tell her that she's overreacting and what she's thinking is stupid and it's not a big deal, you're losing trust, right? She's mm-hmm. never going to talk to you again. It's done. Right. Why would she? To your you, partner. Yeah. You don't want to hear what she has right? to say. You don't agree yeah. with what she says. You don't agree that she has these feelings or emotions. So mm-hmm. why would she talk to you? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, Andrew Morovsky. That's terrible pronunciation. I'm just sorry right now. Also a PhD. Here's some things. <laughs> Talking about men feel really limited by society too. And it's basically around what will other men think? What will other men think if I help my wife, if I am weak, if I am effeminate, if I am whatever? And I'm like, boy, oh boy, what will other men think? Well, let's put it in perspective. Everything men do is revolved around what other men will think. They don't care what women think because most men don't really like women, right? Mm -hmm. Because they're told that other men are what validate them. Mm Mm-hmm. And they're told that that's the case. Big trucks with fucking exhaust and shit. Women, women could care less. That's not for women. That's to show other men that your penis is small, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. But wait, if I have big wheels, then obviously I'm hung <laughs> like a donkey. Certainly as a man, you can't ask for help or be vulnerable. But I mean, that's true for women too. It is. It is. I think the difference is... Women are expected to be emotional and men don't understand that anger is actually an emotion, but whatever. <laughs> right. It's interesting talking to say Declan about a lot of this as a grown ass man now. Mm-hmm. And and he's like, men aren't allowed to be upset. Men aren't allowed to cry. Men aren't allowed to do these things because we've been told that it's not okay. And I'm like, you're fucking right. right. Men need therapy because of other men. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Another glaring gap that we have created in society like just well all of us not just we've not right we're on the right side of everything everyone the patriarchy <laughs> is fucking them as much as they're fucking right. us and none of us are being called pretty first so right mm, terrible let me say that there is a really sweet moment where neil is talking about emily and he tears up and he cried and eve cried and I cried. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm just like one raw exposed nerve right now. Mm-hmm. So, but I thought 
is again really lovely to see a partner speaking well of their partner it's almost like revolutionary that you just don't see it enough right and i think it's men, commonplace men are they're like well you know how i feel because i do these things and i'm like um words are nice we'd like words too like i can't read your goddamn mind <laughs> <sighs> so i guess let's talk a little bit about childcare in covid Ugh. so childcare in covid 60% of all childcare establishments close overnight. There's nothing. There's nothing for anybody. A third of those are gone for good. So they never reopen. So there's probably still a bit of a crisis. I dodged this bullet. My children are old enough that they don't need childcare. They can latchkey the shit out of things at this point. <laughs> yeah. So C. Nicole Mason says in two months, 2 million women left the workforce. That's four times the rate of men. Right. Because mm -hmm. someone had to take care of the kids. Someone had to homeschool the kids. Yeah. And a lot of them were trying yeah. to do it while working from home. And it was just too mm -hmm. difficult. It was hard. I was working right. at home at that time. And, and I would see people like, oh, I'm going to bake bread on, on my free time. Because what else do you do during COVID? I'm like, fucking work. I work and I do school and I do all these things, you know, Jesus. And that is so different from my experience. Cause I was in the office. So mm -hmm. My kids were home, but I was in the office mm -hmm. and I was like sitting, looking out the window thinking, I want to be home because that's what everybody talked about. Right. Right. So I digress. Katie Border says that she believes that this set us back two generations in terms of women in the workforce, because there are so many trained and talented women that are staying home now. Right. And someone said that in a crisis, women are the social safety net that they just assume right. that we're going right. to pick up that slack and do that work. And I was like, fuck off. We're so tired. We're tired. Well, think about to be the safety net in a crisis and also to be devalued at the same time. Like what a mind fuck that is and how hard it is to deal with because it's real for me, for you, for a lot of the women I know, mm -hmm. but society doesn't acknowledge any of our feelings, any of our problems, any of our complaints. We're just being dramatic and overreacting. And that's so frustrating. Well, think about on a larger scale, the people who had to do those critical jobs that couldn't leave. So grocery store workers and things like that, you have to work because we need that. As a society, we need you to work, but we're not going to pay you more. We'll thank you by standing outside and clapping or doing some stupid shit. I don't know. We're not going to pay yeah. you. We're not going to make it safe so you can actually do this safely and not get COVID and die. Mm -hmm. But you are absolutely needed and important. Right. We will Ugh. put all the signs in your yard. Yes. Kaylin Collins, PhD, says, what a great country we have. There's no guaranteed paid maternity or paternity leave at this point. Us in like what? Papua New Guinea? <laughs> yes. That yeah. is what she said. There's no minimum for vacation or sick leave. Mm. We have no universal health care. I mean, to the point that that's a dirty word. Like, why would we ever want that? I don't know. COVID? Just saying. If COVID didn't make us realize how much we need that, nothing fucking will. Like, if Sandy Hook didn't make people realize that guns are a fucking problem, killing tiny children, nothing will. Period. Well, those were actors, and oh, I'll have fuck, you know, I forgot. Mm -hmm. Right. So, there's no minimum wage increase since 2009. 
Mm -hmm. We have the second highest rate of poverty among rich countries. There's an increase in maternal mortality rate, which we have discussed, especially among minorities. Mm -hmm. And Sina Cole Mason, PhD, says it's really embarrassing because we hold ourselves as an example, right? There's a lot of patriotism and flag waving, like the United States is the greatest place ever, except Mm -hmm. for if you are a person who is not fortunate enough to be able to save for any inevitability because it's really the expectation. Like you should work your ass off. You should be able to save stuff, but be a good consumer and participate Mm -hmm. in all the capitalism and have the best iPhone ever, Mm -hmm. but also save and need nothing from anyone. So good luck everyone Mm -hmm. with that. Yeah. Bootstraps, yo bootstraps. (laughs) We are woefully behind in terms of care. They put a graph up that says the U.S. spends $500 on early child care versus Norway, who spends almost $30,000. And I chose Norway, number one, because they were the highest and also among the happiest of countries because they invest in their people. All the top ones like Norway, Finland, Denmark, they were all at the, the top range there. Yeah. Right. Right. So Darby Saxby says social support is built on assumption that there's a stay-at-home parent, we would really have not caught up with the times and acknowledge the fact that that is not a thing for most American families. And hasn't been for 50 years. I mean, you'd think we'd fucking get it under control. The private solution, you know, as a, a working mom, you're supposed to come up with a solution on your own. But this is a large public problem. So, yeah, I don't know. Katie Porter says America shits on moms because of sexism. And the government couldn't possibly help with expensive childcare. That's ridiculous. We got planes to buy. That's exactly right. And they were like, but it's too expensive. And, but the military. Also, that fucking bank that just collapsed. Everyone who was like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. But we should probably bail them out. No, no, let's not. They did the same stupid shit they did in 2008. They didn't fucking learn from other people's mistakes. They earned Mm -hmm. this. They earned to collapse. So the hidden message in all this is it's too costly to support women. We should just let them keep doing it all for free. Mm-hmm. Right? Because you're expendable. I don't know if you know that. Merca. Right. So Melinda Gates, she says that our actions suggest that work in the workplace is far more important. Capitalism is more important than taking care of our families. And she puts a lovely spin on it because she was like, do we really feel that way? And my answer is yes. (laughs) Like we really feel that way. It's not that we're, I don't know, especially now. I mean, a lot of this documentary does not talk about reproductive rights. It doesn't talk about the attacks on education. It doesn't talk about the attacks on minority groups. Um, If you're not a straight white male here, you are in trouble. Right. And we don't talk necessarily about that, but I'm like, yes, we do not want to change anything. We just expect it to get better. We're doing the same thing. I think the problem is, is the majority of people do want change. It's that small, real loud group that doesn't want change because they realize, let me rephrase that. They think that change will mean that they are no longer at the top of some invisible mountain that they feel gives them power. And the majority of these people are not in places of power. They're probably making not very much money, but they've been told that because they're white, they're better than. And so that's the only privilege they have and they need to hold on to it. So when faced with a woman who's better educated than you, 
farther along in her career than you could be interpreted as possibly more deserving than you, the best way for you to get back in your rightful spot is to tell her that she has no bodily autonomy. Yeah. Because that's a threat to them because it shows them how mediocre right. they fucking are, right? You are not <laughs> that amazing. Diversity and inclusion in the workplace is really shining a light on the fact that I don't remember where I heard this, someone who deals with this in some big corporate, some white man had written in and saying, Hey, I don't have the opportunities I once had because you're giving them to these other people. And I'm like, okay, here's the problem is these other people never had these opportunities. We're just opening it up. So everyone has the opportunity. You, your mediocrity Mm -hmm. was okay before. And now you're being challenged by people who are better than you and you don't like it Mm -hmm. is what this comes down to. And that's unfortunate for you, but maybe step the fuck up. I don't know. Right. Like join the club. Won't you like, we've all been, working our asses off for some time. So mm-hmm. I don't have anything great to say about this. Um, so C. Nicole Mason, PhD, she gives us the statistic of if the U.S. would subsidize child care, child care, child care, even sure. I've been talking <laughs> a lot. Okay. Yeah. Like everyone else worldwide that's in a developed country, the GDP, which is the gross domestic product, would increase by $1.6 trillion. And let me right. say, because I wasn't sure what the GDP was, mm. it's basically a measurement of the health of an economy. So a massive increase, a trillion dollars. The only time I ever hear anybody talk about a trillion dollars is the debt. Mm-hmm. So a trillion seems like a lot in that regard. So it must also be a lot in this regard because numbers don't change their value. So what would paid paternity leave do for us? So we don't have paid maternity leave, like it's not a federal guarantee, but if we would even take a step further and pay for paternal leave, this would allow men to participate at a time when domestic work increases exponentially. So when that baby comes home, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of extra shit you have to do um, that you didn't have to do before. So men can get in on the ground floor and they can learn things about like, is that a hungry cry? Is that a... I need to be changed cry. So, I mean, like they are capable of learning these things. It's not just like a woman's brain is more in tune, whatever. <laughs> and so they can get some competency and some confidence in child caring from the mm-hmm. beginning when we're all fucking struggling to understand what the hell we're doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the beauty of that is if you're changed in that way, you might come back to your role and be a better leader if you're a leader. You might be a healthier man because you have different connections in your life. Because we talk a lot about there's a lot of lonely men out there. Well, that's our fault as women. I'm just saying. Oh, of course. Well, you know, if they can land you and get you pregnant and have a baby and they help out a little bit, maybe they won't be so lonely. Just saying. (laughs) But yeah, if you're an involved dad, your kids benefit from that. They'll be more adjusted because you have more attention. And believe it or not, kids want you to look at them all the fucking time forever. And so you will be better off because you're more connected. They will be better off because they had more attention than just a poor mom can give them. Because at some point, I don't want to see what you just did. I don't want to see it. I don't want to see you go down the slide one more time. (laughs) If I have to hear Minecraft one more time. Oh, my God. So those are the benefits to dads. And I would like to, at this point, make a plug for people to go and check out our episode number 40 for the documentary Happy, because they talk about how social connections, how being involved in 
really investing in the relationships in your life really drive your satisfaction overall, which I think is mm-hmm. kind of related to this. It's not money. Like nobody goes to their deathbed and they're like, I didn't get to swim in coins like Scrooge McDuck. <laughs> they say things like, I wish I had spent more time with people in my life that I love. So. Right. And yeah. at the end of this, they did give a statistic about people who have those social connections and family connections are happier. Even that has much more of an impact than even genetics or, or health or things mm-hmm. like that, which is, something you can control, right? You can't control your genetics. Mm -hmm. You can control the relationship in your life to a certain extent. Sure. So basically let's sum it up to say that fair play, whether you, you know, it's just a documentary or the practice of fair play, really what it is, is it's moving shit off women's plates so they can make some, like have some optimal experiences because you can't really enjoy life if you're thinking about the next 12 things that you have to deal with. So you can have some reclaiming of your time. There are fewer interruptions for you and you get in that flow state, which is really another key piece of being happy and having like good long-term cognitive function. Mm -hmm. So something to think about is moving towards a state where we're valuing you know, holding your kid's hand for an hour at the pediatrician as much as we value an hour in the boardroom. And that's Mm -hmm. sort of when this will become less of a struggle, I think, for people, because right now it's just like, you know, how are we investing in our future here? We're not. We're just saying, like, hope it works out okay. And then, you know, criticizing parents at every step. So, especially moms. Well, I think the interesting thing is in giving moms or women in general, this time back, men coming in and actually owning part of this work as a parent, as a contributing member to the household and things, most of them came out of this saying, I feel much better now. I am happier in my relationship, not just Mm -hmm. because my wife is happier, but I'm contributing. I see what she does. It's a more equitable relationship. I see my kids more. They're doing better everyone benefits from this. It's not just like, well, I have to give up my golf Mm -hmm. game because she needs me to do the dishes. It is Mm -hmm. everyone benefiting. And like you said, even society, even our fucking GDP would benefit from this. If we would focus on these things more, everyone would benefit. Like patriarchy is fucking us all. It's amazing. It's amazing. Well, we're so afraid to look forward. I mean, like we can't look at the Swedens and the Norways of the world to be like, why are they so happy? Like it's literally a patriotic affront to think that we haven't gotten it all figured out. We are a young country. Stupid yes. One. Yeah. It's a very stupid one right now. <laughs> I mean, and it has been stupid in one way or the other forever. I feel like. Right. Yeah. We've got to learn. We've got to grow. That's how things evolve. That's part of fucking life. Right. Evolve or devolve. Right. Yeah. So I love the fact that we have talked about this longer than the actual documentary. (laughs) (laughs) But there was a lot of good conversation. There are things that have to be talked about. I agree. So, yep. I -hmm. concur. So again, there are some other tie-ins for this. Happy is episode 40. So if you haven't listened to that, please do. I think that you'll find that it's relevant. Beyond that, we'll ask you guys to rate, review, and subscribe, please, to help us along our journey here. would be great. Next week, Wait, we have a doozy for you. I'm going to ask you to stop. Oh, Be- okay. Before we move on, who's your honorary Aaron for the week? Oh, yes, my honorary Aaron. I 
mean, I'm going to say it's Eve, I guess, for me, because I admire her so. I think it's really awesome to see a woman come out and be outspoken in a way that's not productive because you don't have to be productive, but I love the fact that she's a boss and she's talking about women's issues in an empowering way. Yeah. She's fixing shit. She's a fixer. And I she like really that. is. Yes. My honorary Aaron and probably before this episode, but <laughs> including this episode is one Miss Katie Porter because I figured I fucking love her. She's also fixing shit. She's taking people to task and I love her for it. Yep. Yeah. She's a, she's a force of nature and I always admire that about strong women. I love that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's really good. Okay. Now, what are we doing next week? So next week we're going to do Money Shot. It's the Pornhub story. This is running an hour and 34 minutes. You can find it on Netflix. This is hot off the presses. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so Pornhub, this is the rise of the most famous adult platform and recent backlash received from that. Mm-hmm. I still think the term recent is is vague, right? They've, <laughs> they've gotten backlash from day one, surely. So yeah. Right. I suspect this will be an interesting conversation for us because it's about porn and porn is taboo and that should be a good chat. I hope it I hope it goes into both sides of those who are voluntarily in the sex industry, which sex work is real work, yo. Let's fucking acknowledge oh that now. Mm-hmm. But also those people who are not voluntarily in the sex industry and how that might be addressed. So we'll see. I haven't seen it yet. So mm-hmm. hopefully it's a good discussion. Hundred percent. Love it. All right. Well, thanks for joining us and we will talk to you next week, guys. All right, later. Bye.